Practical Prophetic, where prophetic ministry is made practical. I'm Beth Wingate, I'm your host, and welcome to the podcast. On our podcast today, I have my mom, Judy Holmes, back on the program. Welcome, Mom, Judy. Hi, glad to be here. Yes. So a couple of weeks ago, I talked about Ahaz, who's in your Bible in 2 Kings chapter 16, and how that Ahaz brought in a pagan, new, big, elaborate, shiny altar into the temple of Yahweh God, and he moved the altar of God and pushed it to the side and put this new pagan altar in the temple and how this is a picture of what we do sometimes in our lives. And so you and I were having a conversation about that podcast and I invited you to come and share some of the things that God was speaking to you about that situation and share that with our audience about the importance of altars, the significance of altars, how we can do those same kinds of things, how the church does those kinds of things, and just to sort of continue the conversation about replacing the altar. That's right. Well, I just feel like there are very few things left in this world, even in the Christian community, that we actually find as sacred holy, set apart, and I feel like the altar is one of those things. The place up at the front of the church where the minister preaches the Word of God, the people are singing the Word of God, and I just feel like that is like where God meets us on Sunday, Wednesday, wherever. And so many times now, it has been, there's been a violation to the holiness of God's sanctuary and with the altar. After reading in Numbers, it's not just the altar, it's the whole sanctuary. Right. And we have such a a loose way of of doing things. I I am not even talking about bringing your coffee in and drinking it. We don't do that. I don't choose. That's my bird. He likes to say (laughs) hello every once in a while. But I'm talking about where you bring the things of the world that are unholy, ungodly, that I feel like is the real idols in our our lives now, like secular music. I have, can I tell this story? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, before you do, though, let me just say this. So Moses in the Old Testament, when he was in the wilderness and God had given him the pattern of how to do worship, of what was holy, what was unholy. God gives him these four basic categories. I don't hear this taught a lot, but this is based off of Judeo-Christian principles 
God gives these four categories. It's that which is holy, that which is clean, that which is unclean, and that which is unholy. And there are things in our life, of course, that we should have set apart as holy, meaning only for use unto the Lord. Yes. There are things in our life which are clean, which are just acceptable. Uh, you know, and, and you could what we'll just since you brought up music real quick, we'll take uh, the idea of music. The music that is worship is considered holy. That is unto God set apart. It's a it should be about Jesus. It, it should be worshipful in its lyrics and, and what the message is. Then there's that which is clean. That's. You know, Disney songs, Christian. Well, I say Disney songs. That's maybe we got to move it into a new category. But in, historically, you know, uh, banana right. music, classical music. You know, you've got um, you've got more, uh, contemporary Christian music. You've got some love songs that may fit in that category. You know, I'm, I'm not legalistic. And then you have that which is unclean. There's a lot of music out there. A lot of your radio music that's frankly unclean it's not holy it's not exactly clean especially if it's got you know imagery or language in it that's unclean and then there's that which is unholy and uh, unholy is a synonymous with evil and there's some there is some music out there that's just straight up absolutely unholy. <laughs> unholy and so just just a real quick sort of lay out those distinctions, those categories that Moses gave us. And Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So those some of the laws in your Old Testament are still in effect. Right. The Ten Commandments are still in effect. A lot of the covenantal laws are still in effect. Now, Jesus, as the as the Passover lamb, I believe that has been fulfilled. But there's a lot of things that are still in effect. And so I'll let you go on and tell your story. I just wanted to sort of lay down a foundation to, to show, you know, we're not being legalistic. We're not bashing on some of the relevant modern aspects of church. Culture and society has changed. We don't do, quote, Sunday school. We do small groups. And uh, we could have a good discussion about that. But. We're not talking about, like you said, coming into a sanctuary with a casual attitude. That's something we could have a conversation about, but that's not unholy or, or necessarily even unclean. That may just be permissible. And so uh, I'll let you go ahead and throw it back to you and tell your story. Okay. We were in a very conservative church, I thought. Huge, huge church. And... Every month, there was a man that came in as the new music director, and he took our music in a whole different avenue, and I really felt like the Spirit of the Lord was so grieved in me every time he, he got up to do the music because it was like we were a um, New York show. The choir was supposed to, every song, raise their hands like up, down, down, da, 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 you know. And it was very rehearsed and and performance driven. Yes, very rehearsed. In fact, a lot of 
the people that we knew, they left left the church, and it took years to find out why they left. They were awesome. They signed every week, and they said we couldn't go. We could not deal with that. And it felt like that the spirit of the Lord, it was Ichabod had left that that altar area had left because of the presence. And, you know, the, the proof is always in the pudding, Beth. He's no longer even in church. Right, right. Not even a, he doesn't lead singing anymore. He doesn't lead anything. He's not in church. And... Very and hanging around very very questionable people uh, that would make you think he was of a certain pers- persuasion, and so you know I think that a lot of times we the enemy his first attack is on the altar, right? Well, let's let's talk about real quick. What the altar is. I I think a lot of people have this misconception of like a liturgical little wooden uh, padded for your knees place that you kneel at the front of a church. And we think that that is a I mean, that is a physically an altar, but they think that is, quote unquote, the altar. Maybe we should define what the altar is. And I'll start by saying this in the Temple of Moses, which is patterned after the one of heaven. There was three altars. There was the laver, which represents baptism. It was a water pool for cleansing, purification, sanctification. There was the brazen altar, which was basically a, a, a big bowl with fire in it for the sacrifices. Um, that represents uh, justification. It, it represents Jesus being the ultimate sacrifice. And then inside the actual building of the temple, between the inner court and the Holy of Holies, you would have the altar of incense that represents intercessory prayer. And mm. so you have these levels, I believe, of altars uh, within the temple. Everything in the temple is laid out on this pattern of repeating threes. And and by the way, everything in the temple is a picture of Jesus. It's not a what, it's a who. So the altar is not a what, it's a who. Well, in our modern New Testament church, we have uh, designated a place in the church specifically for worship, for the preaching of the word, for the worship, you know, with music, for uh, typically that's where the offering will be or the, you know, the sacraments. If you do communion, that is uh, the place that people will come and pray and kneel, quote unquote, at the altar. And a lot of churches no longer have a physical altar, but that area is designated, marked off, and set apart idealistically as, quote-unquote, holy. And so Ahaz in the Old Testament, what he did is he went and traveled. So he went into the world, so to speak. He went to Damascus, and he saw this large, ornate, shiny, pagan altar. And he was so captivated by its beauty. Mm -hmm. And maybe the the style of their worship or or whatever that he had a uh, he had a a copy of that made 
he, he had a architectural drawings done and a 3D model, basically. And he sent that back and had and commissioned that project. He wow. said, by the time I get back to the high priest, I want this built. And then he uh, moved aside the sacrificial brazen altar and put that altar right there to the doorway of the temple to the, the door. It was in the inner, it was in the outer court and he was he put it right in front of the entrance to the inner court. And we know that our uh, we Paul says we are living temples and, and we right. have a flesh, a soul and a spirit. And so he put that in the flesh realm right to the entrance of your soul, which is a message all unto itself. And so, yes. uh, you know, there's a problem in our church right now in that in our uh, striving to be relatable, to be relevant, to not be legalistic, that sometimes we have taken out and pushed aside the things that uh, because of tradition that maybe we've gone too far. Maybe we've put things aside that we shouldn't. Right. Well, everything in word and deed, the Bible says, do it all in the name of the Lord. And there's so many things that I see that are done in the name of the Lord that I think are not kosher that I would not do because I would I would have to repent. I would have to ask God, you know, don't do that. Please, please have mercy on us. One of the things, Beth, I wanted to bring out while you were just saying that in numbers, I was just reading, I think it's around 18 or 1920. Some of the people rose up against Moses and Aaron and talked against them. And so God said, tell them to Moses fell on his face and he prayed for them. And that's what we should do. When we see people doing wrong, we should pray for them and know that, you know, we could be the only one between them and destruction. Anyway, Moses prayed for them and asked for mercy. And so God told them, told Moses to tell him to bring every man his censer. There was 250 in the priesthood. That talked against Moses. This is how how serious it is to talk against the man of God. And uh, so they they brought their censers, and the men still would not repent. They were saying things like, "Well, who are you?" We're priests, too. We're in the priesthood. Why can't God use us like you? Why do we have to do what you say? And he, uh, God told them to bring their censers, and they brought all their censers, and the ground opened up and took every one of them and their families. And their censers were used... God said, take the censers, beat them down into flat sheets and put them on the altar where you walk. And so, you know, the censers were the prayers. 
That's what they they would put the coals in, and they would rock them back and forth, and it would smell, and they would pray, and the coals and the prayers would mix and waft up to heaven. And so it's a very serious thing to talk about your pastor, but I I just I can just see those sensors being beaten down and made for a flat sheet for the priest to stand on. And not only that, the people would look at that and remember, don't talk about God's people. We need that sometimes. Right. You know, this is a cautionary tale. There's other cautionary tales in the Bible, and this is one of them, is that God is very, very particular about how we worship. He went to a lot of detail, <laughs> and uh, he's very particular about how we worship. Of course, Jesus makes a way, and it's much more simplified since Jesus comes. But like I said, that doesn't negate these principles no. and these ideas. And and uh, and and I do believe there's, you know, I'm I'm in agreement with a level of uh, casualness. But there are some things that we can become too casual with. There has to be a balance, and and it is a a concern when I see people be flippant um, with the things of God, people being a little too comfortable, a little too casual. And it's like we lose some of that reverential fear and reverence for the things of God. Uh, my husband and I were watching a TV show and two or three commercials came on. One was for a medication and it just went into great detail about IBS, you know, irritable bowel syndrome, and and it was just a little bit much. And then there was another commercial for, you know, personal products that was a little in your face. And then there was something else. And I was like, is nothing sacred anymore? You know, like, do we really need to talk about body functions and our commercials like children come in the room? And, you know, there's just a casualness sometimes where nothing is sacred, everything, everyone thinks everything should be open and on the table and talked about. And and I, I get that to one level, but on the other level, I'm like, you know, there's just some things we don't need to keep talking about and discussing. And, you know, there has to be a little bit said for privacy and and, and the sacred and, and things like that. And maybe in our society, we're in a time where we the pendulum has gone a little too far and it's got to find its way back into balance. I see that definitely in the church. And then I would ask, you know, we have to look at ourselves as individuals. You know, have we have we pushed aside the altar? You know, that brazen altar represents mm. salvation. That, that, you know, mm-hmm. in the Old Testament, they would sacrifice an animal, typically a lamb, on the altar. And Jesus became the lamb, the ultimate lamb, the final, ultimate sacrifice. But it's a picture of salvation, justification, sanctification. Right. And it's like sometimes in our casualness and our pursuit of something bigger and newer and better or, or non-traditional, uh, we want to push sometimes the things of God aside and, and the altar of our heart. You know, Paul says in, in Second Corinthians, we are right. living temples. Um, let me read this scripture out of Isaiah 7, 2. It says, Ahaz's heart and the heart of the people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the winds. So they were they were moved and swayed culturally by whatever trend 
came on the scene. And so it gives us a clue here that this was trendy. This was something exciting and new and, and relevant. And yes. And so we that's a cautionary tale to us. Mm hmm. Don't jump on the latest fad just because it's a fad. You better wait and see if that's where God wants you to go or to be a part of even. One of the things that I that I can't help but think about is that God wants us to present one day to him our body, soul, and spirit. And that's what we think about. That's what we do. And we don't have time to be in the world and running after the latest fad. You know, people that talk about going and hearing 50s music, which was, you know, I grew up, I was born in 50, so, and, uh, they, I don't want, why do I want to listen to that? It has no, it's fun, it may be fun, but I want to do everything to please the Lord. And if listening to, to Christian music, it will bless you at the same time you're enjoying it. It will educate you. You know, uh, well, I didn't know that scripture. I, they're singing something I didn't even know. You know, and it's it's great to let the word of God be in every area of your life, but especially at the altar. Is it the last frontier, I feel like? And even that, it gets, there are preachers that let it. They, they really just don't see it. I've said it before, but we had a pastor that, that said after he had let a, a Michael Jackson, uh, thing go on where the kids did different. Well, no, it was actually the youth leaders had a dance off. A dance off, yeah. <laughs> and so and look, that's, that's, look, let me just say this too. Okay, let's just take Michael Jackson. Uh, I would say I would put that in the category. A lot of his music, especially Thriller, it's unclean. Very unclean. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say it's evil, although you could make an argument for a few of the songs. Some of his songs maybe even fall in the clean category. But what place does it have at the altar? What place does it have yes. at the church? That was really my point from the yes. You know, there's some things it's like as, if you want to do that on your own time, that's your business. Right. And none of my business. But, um, you know, to do that in church for the kids as part of a worship service, we, we forget, you know, sometimes what we're actually doing at church. <laughs> Why? Right. <we're> <laughs> it's like, Ooh, I like Beverly. that. Beth. Wait, wait a minute. Yeah. You don't glass over, gloss over that. Sometimes we forget what we are really doing at church. Right. It Pastor is supposed Beverly to be says, ministering and sharing God and showing people how to live a godly life. What has that got to do with Michael Jackson? Right. Uh, it's like Pastor Beverly says, where is Jesus in the church? Sometimes yes. he's the, the last person you find in the church. <laughs> right. <laughs> he's pushed so far to the corner, you know, to right. the side. 
and and you're like, you know, did we come here to see our friends? Did we come here to hear our favorite song? Did we come here to talk to so-and-so or to see what somebody's wearing or what the latest is, what, you know, in this, my friend's lives? You know, that's fine to do at church, but that's not why we're there. Right. And we can't forget the main reason we're there. Absolutely. In fact, I'll give us a scripture or two just to sort of reinforce what we're talking about. First Corinthians ten twenty three. it says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient or good for you. Right. It says all things are lawful, but not all things edify. And so uh, and, and that expedient, another translation says, uh, you know, there's things that are permissible that are permissible, but that doesn't mean they're profitable. And so just because I'm allowed to do something, I need to weigh out with wisdom. Is this what I should be doing? And right. So, and so, you know, to me, I think that what we're saying here is there has to be some place in your life that is sacred, that is marked as holy. I mean, when you're living your everyday life, you're mainly living in a state of cleanness. Hopefully, you know, that you're living a clean life. That yes. You're, that you're not living in evilness or uncleanness, you know. Uh, and if you do, just repent and get that right. Uh, but there has to be times in your life when you're holy. When you come into the church, that's a holy time. And I'm not saying we have to be liturgical and we don't have to be uh, religious and uh, legalistic about it. Uh, that, you know, there's been times in the church when they've gone too far with that and they would build these massive cathedrals and they would have, you know, the garb on and and all of that ceremony and pomp. But it's like we've gotten the, the pendulum has come back too far and there's times that we're just too casual. And so there has to be is there is there anywhere that is sacred unto the Lord inside the church and the altar is the last holdout? Yes. And I will defend the space that is marked as the altar that it should Me be too. holy. Me and, too. And that's, that's a hill I will die on. Yes. Yes. You know, you have to pick and choose your battles. And I feel like the line has been pushed back and pushed back in Christianity. And that's when I will not budge on and let me say this, that Jesus said he's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. He's looking for a pure, white, clean, oil-filled church. And people are, I hear this constantly well why why don't we have the miracles why don't we have the things like when you know when peter walked down the street and people would be healed by his shadow and things like that well okay i'm yeah come on but you also had the husband and wife that they lied to the holy spirit and they had to carry them out both of them dead and that's in the New Testament, by the way. Yes, this is New Testament. <laughs> Just Very case, New you know. Testament. And uh, where the power of God is, it's almost like a negative and positive charge. Right. There's two sides of the coin. There's two sides of that. So, yeah, you want the power. Well, it's also going to be the power that's going to reveal sin. 
and convict sinners and to, you know, be harder, even if you would, on sinners. And so I don't know if we're ready for that kind of power yet. Right. Well, I hope this gives our listeners something to think about, something to ask, to to be introspective, to look at yourself. Um, you know, we're making a commentary about the church in general. Not all churches are that way. I Absolutely hope, not. I hope the church you're in doesn't have that attitude. But sadly, I see that. I've seen that before. I've seen uh, just a subtle irreverence with the things of God or, or like I said, cavalier, flippant attitude. Right. Uh, in pursuit of relevance in pursuit of being relatable and, and drawing people in. And you have to sometimes just balance those things out. But, but you know, you can only start with yourself and you have to look at yourself. You know, in the story of Ahaz, I wanted to highlight that, first of all, the king, he had no business doing business inside the temple. That was the role of the priest, not the king. Mm-hmm. So he was already outside of his lane, so to speak. Right. And then the priest was the one that followed the orders of the king And he was supposed to be the one to stand up as a standard bearer for what is holy and sacred. And he was the one as the check and balance on the king to say, no, sir. And he should have been willing to die for it because that was his job. That was, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of, uh, you know, things that come with being the priest that are positive. They didn't have to work a normal job. You know, they that people would send in their food. So they were always fed and housed and clothed. And there were some wonderful perks of being a priest. But this was the downside is that you got to be willing to die for what you believe. And you got to be able to stand up and defend what you believe. And I really believe that's a commentary on where we're at in our society today. You have to ask yourself Uh, Do I really believe the things I say I believe? And am I willing to defend and speak up for what I believe in? That's where we're at. There's not society is being pushed and and just polarized into two, two black and white. There's no grays. There's no no gray areas anymore. No. And one of the good things, uh, you know, when you get to be my age, you've gone through a lot of things. Every one of the people that were that compromised holiness, I feel like, in their preaching or their the things they allowed in the church, they're not preachers anymore. You know, I just stand back and watch. So for you people that you feel like you know this is going on here, just just know that. God does see it, and they are not, they're on a, God's got them on a timetable, just like Jezebel. Right, she had 20, 20, uh, 22 years God gave her to repent. And she did. It's amazing to me. But Ahab did. He did, that's right. And so, you know, this is an encouraging message. I know that sounds a little judgy, um, but uh, just remember those categories. If nothing else speaks to you, that God has that which is holy, that which is clean, that which is unclean, and that which is unholy. And so we want to live clean lives and hopefully also live holy lives. Yes. And so, And if you're living in some uncleanness, maybe there's some attitudes or some things you do or say or behavior, just clean it up. You know, 
Ask God to, to clean that, forgive you, repent of that, change your behavior. God can fix that. And if you've got unholiness in your life, well, you really need to get that worked out. You need to Amen. get that right. And so if I, uh, what, we, our time's pretty much up. You got anything you want to leave us with? Yes, I believe Jesus. Like, I mean, I've heard it. Jesus is coming back for almost 50 years, but I'm telling you, Jesus is coming back. Even unsaved people know that. Right. The stars in the sky, uh, the whole earth knows it, and our time is so short, and we need to we need to be pleasing unto the Lord. And it's also the Lord has a thing called the rapture of the church, and that is for those that are believers that will be taken out. And so if you're not a believer, all you need to do is ask God to forgive you of your sins. Ask the Lord to come into your heart and be your Lord and be your Savior. And go to church, read your Bible, and pray. And pray. <laughs> talk and to God. Yes. Talk to God because He is your Father and He is just waiting on you. Right. To become his. Amen. That will preach. So uh, that will hopefully give you something to think about this week. Thank you so much, Mom, for being on the show. Have a blessed day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Please be sure to hit the subscribe button so you'll be informed next time I post. 